1: The full budget is out and being reviewed. And like many things with this current administration, there are some dramatic changes from the way things have been done in the past. There are proposed changes to programs involving food stamps, Medicare, Medicaid. There's a proposal for six weeks of family leave upon the birth of a baby or adoption. There's also proposed changes to student loan programs, and that is, to a degree, just the tip of the iceberg. To break it all down, we are joined on the phone by David uh, Kamen, who is a law professor at NYU, and former Special Assistant to the President for Economic Policy in the Obama Administration, and also joining us, Alan Auerbach, Professor of Economics and Law at the University of California at Berkeley, as well as Director of the Center for Tax Policy and Public Finance. Gentlemen, great to have you with us today. Thank you both.
0: Nice to be here. Nice to be here,
1: too. Thank you. Uh, Just your general reaction to what you're reading is in the budget. Alan, I'll start with you.
2: Well, I think rather than focus on the specific a uh, 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 agenda which some of some of the programs which you mentioned I think it's uh I would focus on the big picture which is it's a proposal that would uh sharply cut uh, domestic spending increase defense spending uh extend some of the tax cuts that were just passed and make it all work through unrealistic economic projections
0: David yeah, so very similar to what Alan just said, um it's a budget that sort of lays out its prior- the priority of continuing the tax cuts that were just enacted at significant cost. Um so the you know tax cuts cost costing about one point five trillion dollars hidden in the budget is the extension, which they say cost about an additional six hundred billion dollars. Um they then, uh, as a way to help pay for that, as well as the defense increases, uh, propose uh, sharp cuts. For instance, you know, a 30% cut to SNAP, a uh, 10% cut to domestic spending, even as there was a deal that went in the opposite direction. And then, as Alan said, they then use economic assumptions, which puts, off, which puts their, um, their budget projections off by something like a, you know, a couple trillion dollars. Uh, to make it look like it has lower deficits than would, in fact, be the case.
1: Well, what's interesting, Alan, in reading up on this uh, in the last 24 hours or so, is that the the budget proposal that came forth last year uh, by the White House, uh, a lot of what was in there never really even got put into play, correct?
2: Well, that's usually the case. Budgets are aspirational documents. It's ways, even when the same party is controlled, the ways in which the administration's Says these are things we'd like to do, and uh, as David knows from his years during the Obama administration, that saying putting something in a budget doesn't necessarily mean you expect something to happen. It's it's a way of trying to start a conversation.
1: Well, David, give us your insight on that. What was the uh, the per- percentage of success when you were in the White House?
0: <laughs> um, so, I, I think alan is right uh so the budget is fundamentally a document about the uh the division of the administration and the president and you know much of the budget will not end up necessarily getting uh, uh put into place with that said i think that even as it's a vision document it's important to grade them and to look at the vision to see whether it is a coherent one um and you know most budgets will have areas where they don't fully specify proposals um, but there will be some budgets which are more honest about the vision they have laid out than others. Uh, and I think this one sort of grades relatively low on that front. I also think that it's important to take seriously um, the vision that gets laid out, even if uh, things would not necessarily be immediately enacted. I think especially when it comes to the safety net and some of the proposals that were put into this budget, we've seen the, Cong- the Congress try to um, move forward on uh, you know, proposals that significantly cut Medicaid. And obviously repealed significant parts of the Affordable Care Act. They didn't end up enacting that. I don't think anyone is expecting major moves probably this year. Um, but it's possible that you know if, for instance, uh, you know there was a gain in seats in the Senate for the Republicans and they retain the House, that some of the proposals they put in here, including things like cutting SNAP and other parts of the safety net, um, might actually eventually get action. So I think it is. Alan is totally right. Very little of this seems seems likely to get any immediate action in Congress. But I do think it's important to look at it as a vision document and realize that uh, at least some elements of it could well be taken up um, in the future.
1: Also joining us now in studio, Kent Smetters, who's a professor in the Department of Business Economics and Public Policy here at the Wharton School. He's also faculty director of the Penn Wharton Budget Model, and you also hear him as the host of Your Money every Tuesday at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Sirius XM 111. Good seeing you, my friend. Good, good, good to be here. Thank you. Uh, g- first, uh, give us your general reaction to the budget as a whole and then the comments of both David and Alan.
3: Yes, it's, it's definitely a, a vision document. It's, it's very unlikely most of it will be um, I- implemented. I mean, it, it, in, especially in the past decade or two, people have just kind of taken these things as not very serious on, on Capitol Hill. Probably, I think, the, uh, the part that you see that it, it is being extended – A tradition of uh, past administrations, both Republican and Democrat, is this kind of game that you play where you basically say, hey, you know, by the end of the 10-year window, things will be pretty good in terms of lower deficits and so forth. And, of course, this is, you know, the game that's constantly being played is that, hey, we're not going to make really big, bold decisions early on, but by the end of the 10-year window on somebody else's term, um, you know, future president, we'll get our act together. And, of course, this is constantly kicks the can down the road, yeah. and um, yeah. no president's ever gotten close um, to that 10-year
1: that, that vision. So when you look at some of the things that obviously are being talked about in the media right now, Ken, what do you see as focal points that either are elements that are, are important to moving the country forward or concerning—
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly there's no question that the entitlement spending is increasing and that's becoming a much larger share of the budget and that will continue. Part of that's just a demographic change that was fully anticipated. And so we shouldn't be fully surprised by that. But at the same time, you know, entitlement spending is on a very rapid uh, uh, growth. I think more of the attention is going to be paid a lot to the infrastructure ideas. Something that we've just done some analysis on uh, this week, and, and you know, a lot of that is is not going to do much for you know economic growth. David, what about you?
0: Um. So you know, in in terms of the things to pay you know to pay attention to in the budget, I I, I agree that there's you know there, there's obviously there's a focus right now um, around infrastructure and whether any of that stuff would get enacted. You know, I I think unfortunately. While that's an area where there is um, an opportunity for um, bipartisan work on it, uh, the the proposal that was put forward, uh, which is a couple hundred billion dollars in upfront infrastructure funding, uh, largely financed by um, cuts to, in some cases, other parts of infrastructure and other parts of the budget, just uh, does not seem to be a a great place. It does not seem to be like a, a place where you're likely to get bipartisan agreement. One of the um, costs, in some ways, so basically an opportunity cost of uh, the tax reform bill last year was that uh, one, of the, the sort of one of the elements that many people had talked about as a potential pay-for, in Washington-speak, for infrastructure, which was a one-time tax on the unrepatri- unrepatriated profits, ended up being used to help finance uh, the tax bill last year. And with that taken off the table, um, it's not clear how an infrastructure deal gets done, and obviously this particular infrastructure plan is put forward. It's a couple hundred billion dollars. It's largely um, financed by cuts within the budget, uh, and that's, it does not align well with uh, where I think Democrats are on infrastructure. So it, it, it does not seem like an area where there could have been bipartisan agreement. It does not look like uh, that's all that likely this
1: year Alan obviously this as you have all kind of alluded to this is uh you know a, an idea of, of where uh, the the Trump administration would like to take the country uh, that being said. With this budget, how much back and forth do you expect to see on capital? I would think it's going to be a lot on, on a variety of these uh, these topics. Maybe the one that, that doesn't get a whole lot of conversation is the money that uh, they're trying to set aside for the opioid epidemic.
2: Well, that's right. Yeah, you can go look through this document and find things like that that make sense. and. Uh, that that is something the president has talked about. There's probably uh, a lot of interest in Capitol Hill about doing something like that, and perhaps there'll be bipartisan action. I, you know, one can expect over the over the next year that there will be certain issues such as that one where there, uh, people in Congress might come together and do something. Uh, that's specific policies. In terms of the big picture, you know, this is. So far from being realistic, that uh, uh, it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really merit a lot of discussion about the the broad strokes as opposed to specific programs. You know, in it, in addition to these very large cuts in discretionary spending, which as David mentioned, go the opposite way of the budget agreement that was just reached. Uh, if you look at the economic projections uh, and you adjust them to be more realistic, for example, they assume a three percent. Growth rate of real GDP, which is probably about a percentage point too high, and you bring it down to a more realistic projection, you would have very, very substantial deficits uh, during the period and a very high uh, level of national debt at the end. And that's even with these very large discretionary spending cuts that are in the in the proposal. So, if you then said, "Well, let's assume a more realistic uh, trajectory for discretionary spending," then you're really out of line with what's possible. So, in terms of specific things in the budget, yeah, there there might be some of these things that get picked up by Congress, such as uh, dealing with opioids. But uh, overall, I think there's it, it's it's uh, it's not really a very good roadmap for what's likely to happen.
3: Yeah, um, I, no, I completely agree. In, in, in particular, I think it's just some of these one-offs um, that have bipartisan support, and it's uh, it's great to see. You know, that being, you know, a kernel of initial success, you know, I think reducing some of the regulatory burdens, you know, I think we can agree that there's been some regulatory burdens there of uh, getting new projects started that probably were inefficient, often were rent sinking and and so forth, but at the same time, you know, a lot of those regulations exist for a reason as well. And so, I mean, when it comes to infrastructure, um, uh, back to that one, yes, it's it's offset with a lot of other cuts and other types of infrastructure. Some of that stuff is repairs, that is actually, has a bigger ROI, than new infrastructure, Um, Anyway, um, but on top of that, it's not even obvious um, to what extent this uh, even $200 billion is going to lead to um, a marginal increase in total infrastructure versus how much of it is just paying um, uh, cities and so forth to do what otherwise they otherwise would be doing. In fact, strategically, a lot of these guys could have been waiting back, (laughs) waiting for some type of subsidy to do essentially what they would have been doing anyway. 844-942-7866
1: 844-942-7866 is the number. If you would like to join in with your comments or talk about the budget, uh, 844-942-7866. In studio with Kent Smetters here at the Wharton School and on the phone with David uh, Kamen of uh, NYU and Alan Auerbach of the University of California, Berkeley. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I know that, David, this might be a, a hard question. answer but i think a lot of people uh and we've talked about this on the show feel you know disillusioned by congress to a degree anyway by what we've seen back and forth over the last decade or so i guess is there a light at the end of the tunnel in your mind where we can we can start to really have meaningful discussion on a lot of these issues more than just the one-offs i
0: don't have an uh i don't know um so the last decade has been uh, somewhat depressing when it comes to fiscal policy, and it's been depressing along two dimensions. Um, in the period of time when I think many would agree, and obviously I, you know, the, the economists uh, on, uh, on the panel may have more to say, but in a period of time when I think deficits uh, actually probably should have been higher than, uh, than they were during the, during the Great Recession, the immediate aftermath, It was challenging to get uh, as much um, expansion in fiscal policy as was needed um, in order to help uh, the economy recover. Obviously, we got some um, initially in the Recovery Act and the automatic stabilizers uh, that uh, were triggered. But um, we've we've switched to austerity, I think, probably at a point where it was too early. um, And we could have had additional fiscal expansion up front that could have helped the labor market and prevented Um, at least some significant pain that uh, Americans felt um, in the wake of the Great Recession. And then at the very point at which the economy, um, while perhaps is not quite at full employment, uh, but is certainly a lot closer, we are seeing an an exact flip. Uh, And the um, Congress now sort of expanding the deficit by about 2% of GDP at a very time in which it's probably least justified uh, within the business cycle to do that and doing it on a permanent basis. So that, uh, that's depressing, uh, because we've seen the Congress in the last decade basically totally flip what, is, uh, what should have been probably the right fiscal policy. You know, if there's one um, place where I think that there is some bright light, maybe within the health policy sphere where there's still so much more to do. Um, but you know, for various reasons, we've seen a slowdown in health cost growth um, over the last decade. Um, that may be in part be due to uh, innovations from the private sector. It may be in part due to some of the reforms that we've seen through the Affordable Care Act, where there are attempts to try to focus on reforms that help change the way doctors get paid and, way, and the way things get delivered to improve, um, hopefully, quality at, uh, and also at lower cost. That's an area where I think we can build on some of the reforms that were made. Um, I worry about this administration, whether they are in fact devoted to, those, to, to that kind of reform. Um, and, but I think it's an area where we've seen some progress. It's key to a long term fiscal um, trajectory as well as the economy. And so, if there's one area where I think that we've seen some progress, uh, that's an important one.
3: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, my, my, my perspective is, is a l- little bit different. And so, uh, overall, I agree that, you know, uh, we've had this dysfunction. We've had this dysfunction for quite a long time. The I mean, uh, 1986 Tax Reform Act was passed during the time where there was considerable disagreement on Capitol Hill, and it just took leadership on both sides uh, to get it done. We don't have that. So I completely agree with that. When it comes to the Great Recession, I I actually think that we did have a big response. It was mainly a monetary response. We tripled the money supply. Um, A lot of people don't realize the risk premiums during the Great Recession were actually bigger than during the Great Depression, and that was during the— the Great Depression was a yeah. pretty thinly traded market. So in many ways, the Great Recession could have been an even much bigger um, event. I, where I think, really requires some bipartisan support. And this is where it makes me probably the most nervous. That's not happening, is uh, whether the central bank, the Federal Reserve, is going to continue to have its independence. Right. You know why I see it's constantly being eroded and attacked, along with the, some of the other institutions in in Washington, CBO, JCT, and so forth, um, it, it, their, you know, ability to act independently is being being eroded. Um, but when I think about this tax bill, um, you know, I've been asked about this a lot. Are we kind of doing this at the wrong time. And keep in mind, you know, it takes, it's about every 30 years that you have a fundamental sure. tax reform. Yeah. I mean, I can understand the stars aligned politically, you want to get this done. I don't think you wait to do, you know, wait for a big recession to do, you know, something like a fundamental tax reform. Um, it is true the Bush tax cuts were very different. They were much more focused on trying to stimulate. They're much more on the individual side, payroll tax cuts, and so forth. Right. Those were much more counter cyclical. But I think th- putting the merits of this tax plan as- aside, I think the three of us would agree that there, you know, the, the tax plan itself has a lot of deficiencies associated with it. And David's own work has shown all the arbitrage <laughs> opportunities that you can you can come up with um, to, to do a lot of tax avoidance. Um, but I, I, th- I do think you know it, it wasn't uh, the case that. We should have postponed doing tax reform just because the economy was
1: doing well. Alan, any optimism on your part?
2: <laughs> uh, not really. I, <laughs> I, think we're, I, I think we've gotten to a, a bad place where uh, nobody's willing to take responsibility for fiscal policy uh, uh, being realistic. And what that means is we're uh, – as long as the economy is strong, we're likely to just continue to run – Deficit, larger deficits and not make difficult choices, and that's going to be fine at least for the short run. But I think something's going to ha- when something happens when we yeah. have an, the next recession, and the debt to GDP ratio isn't uh, what it was in 2008, but you know perhaps double that, uh, and the, you know the Fed at that time still only has three members of the Federal Reserve yeah. Board appointed instead of seven. Uh, we're going to be in a hard place in dealing with the next recession. As difficult as politically as some of the issues were in 2008 and 2009, I think it's going to be a lot worse the next time around.
3: Or if interest rates is increased by one percent, you know that's going to be <laughs> yeah. incredibly costly. It's you know another a trillion and a half dollars over the next 10 years of, of, of additional um, deficits and so I mean we are we're hanging on uh, we're really skating on thin ice right now so then
1: in in the research that you've done then uh, what are some of the things that that really need to be looked at what are the hardcore issues Ken in your mind that that need to be put on the on the agenda here in the next couple of years
3: yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly we have taxes revenue going down at the same time that the spending side, really driven by mandatory spending, is is really going up. Yeah, And so that obviously creates an inconsistency as both... David Allen's pointing out that's going to lead to bigger and bigger deficits. I mean, the, the debt held by the public is just is skyrocketing as far as I can see. Yeah, it's not we're going to hit World War II levels, you know, in a, in a decade or so. And you know, at the same time, you know, unlike the World War II, it's, it's not going to come down. It's just going to continue to increase. And that's on our optimistic assumptions. Um, that's on current law. That's under you know um, no risk to roll interest rates uh, tw- uh, tweaking up much more than what we're projecting. And so, I mean, it's it's something that's going to have to happen. I think what's Ultimately, going to happen. I I'm, I'm brag about being lousy at politics, um, but nonetheless, if I had to take a bet, um, you're going to have a, 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 it. It's going to be very hard to cut entitlements. Um, yeah. It's going to be very politically hard. So we're going to have a new tax that everybody's going to equally hate. It's called the value-added tax. And in particular, yeah. a value-added tax is You know, Democrats hate it because of its. It's you know, it's flat. Republicans hate it because it's a sneaky tax. And you know, it's, it's something that everybody can hate together. But I don't <laughs> see any other way of getting. Out of this um, without something like a value added tax.
1: Well, David, the, the the cost of healthcare is obviously a, a huge, huge element to this right now, and and the fact that. You know, it costs seemingly skyrocket uh, almost every month at, at this point. It doesn't put the consumer in any uh, great shape uh, moving forward. It doesn't obviously put uh, the country and, the, and the, uh, the, the economy in any great shape when you're talking about something that is such an important uh, component to, to GDP and, and to the security of the country uh, b- being something that has costs that are to a degree running out of control right now.
0: Right. I mean, so I, I, the, the trajectory of health costs has um, both, um, you know, tremendously important implications for people's uh, pocketbooks and as well as for the federal budget. Um, you know, as I said, that's one, you know, it's one area where at least I've seen, you know, some hope uh, in terms of reforms that have the potential to reduce costs. There is a lot we still don't know. There's a lot more experimentation that actually needs to be done to figure out how we can better provide health care. Um, part, some of that was enacted in the Affordable Care Act, and there were specific parts of it that were aimed at trying to do various tests to see how we can deliver better care um, at hopefully lower cost. Uh, there are also, obviously, innovation in the private sector. And so you know while there have definitely been in cost, continued cost increases um, in recent years, it is important to keep in mind we have, in fact, seen an overall slowdown in Health cost growth uh, in the last decade, which has actually been very important, it actually cut several hundred billion dollars off of the projected uh, federal deficits uh, of in you know sort of in this sort of ten-year period that we're now in, um, and uh, and of course so we now have a return to deficits in part because uh, we've seen these you know tax cuts and now um, the budget deal on the discretionary side, but. I think that it's, a, it's an area that, that one can imagine, you know, some bipartisan agreement around some of the elements that can try to contain health costs. Obviously, there is real disagreement about health coverage. Um, I think that you know the Affordable Care Act laid out at least some vision where you could potentially both expand coverage and deal with costs at the same time. I would hope that's a vision that ends up getting picked up again uh, going forward.
1: There were two other pieces that I wanted to ask you, David, specifically that uh, have been written about that that are in this budget and potential changes. One uh, involves the, the potential changes to uh, the SNAP program, to food stamps. Uh, and, and then also the idea brought forth, I guess, by Senator Rubio uh, about uh, the the leave, the family leave changes as well. What was your reaction to those two pieces?
0: So uh, my reaction uh, when it comes to SNAP um, is that you know I, I think it, it is a it's it's a, it's, um, it's a misguided vis- uh, vision uh, for the country and for the federal budget. Um, safety net programs like SNAP are not any kind in any way key drivers of our deficits. Um, they provide an important safety net for the lowest income Americans. Um, So to cut the SNAP program by 30 percent, even as uh, we have a tax cut of $1.5 trillion, disproportionately focused at the top, seem to reflect um, wrong priorities. And, you know, I take Kent's point when it comes to tax reform. um, You know, there's no reason. Of course, we could do tax reform um, at a time of full employment. But it was a policy choice on their part, whether that tax reform was going to lose revenue. In 86, it didn't. This one did. Yeah um and so you know that to cut snap by 30 percent to come up with a crazy idea that on the plus side no one seems to be embracing of uh deciding that snap benefits should in significant part be delivered through boxes once a month um with, you know totally unclear how you actually implement that it, it means that families don't get any choice uh you if families are moving they may not get their box which they rely on for like to actually avoid uh, real, um, basically, starvation for many of these families. Uh, it was, it's, it, it reflects policy that is not well thought through. And if ever implemented at any, to any significant g- degree, could bring real hardship to families. When it comes to paid family leave, I think that's an area where, you know, I hope that there's, uh, bipartisan work going forward on trying to figure out how to better provide flexibility to families in the workplace, um, and, and, a, an expansion of social insurance there. Um, you know, I think the the proposals so far have, uh, at least through the administration's one, uh, was not detailed in any way. That had came with very little money on the scale of things. I think it was like under twenty billion dollars over ten years that I think they were they were going to use to incentivize states to create these programs. Yeah. Um. Obviously, that's small on the scale of things, but you know, I I I take some you know hope from the fact that these people are talking about this. Um, other countries do it much better than we do. Um, and so I hope going forward there's real focus on it and, you know, devotion of potentially some resources to figuring out how we provide um, greater flexibility and a better safety net uh, for working families.
1: Great having you all with us today. David, Allen. thank you very much for joining us on the phone today. All the best to you both. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Kent, great seeing you again. Thank you again. Good to be here. Thank you. Kent Smetters of the Wharton School, David Kamen of uh, NYU, Alan Auerbach of Cal Berkeley.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit
2: knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.